Welcome to the Player Engage podcast, where we dive into the biggest challenges, technologies, trends, and best practices for creating unforgettable player experiences. Player Engage is brought to you as a collaboration between Keyword Studios and HelpShift. Here is your host, Greg Posner. Good morning, good afternoon, and welcome to our podcast. Today, we have with us Mark Val, the head of growth at Photon Engine. In the dynamic world of multiplayer gaming, Mark has carved a niche for himself. He currently steers the growth engine at Photon, reaching over 1.4 billion players monthly with their leading services. Before diving into the vibrant gaming universe at Photon, Mark had lent his expertise to PlayFab as a mentor, as, as well as a mentor at Startup Bootcamp. He has an impressive track record of setting up successful teams creating infrastructure, and raising public awareness in new terrains. Mark, I'm excited about our conversation today and be able to talk about all the analytics, but is there anything I missed about your intro that you want to share or, or um, talk no, more? It's to? all good, Craig. Uh, I mean, obviously, we, we have long decades of experience left and right, but, you know, that sums it up for the last five years, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> cool, yeah. And I want to dive into this because ever since I started understanding the behind-the-scenes world of gaming, PlayFab keeps popping up, and I even tried to create my own game using my own Unity engine that I was using, and it just boggled my mind on how you actually connect multiplayer services. And and now you've kind of dabbled with both of those. So starting off with kind of that hard-hitting question is, what what to you, if you were starting a company, are the most important analytics that you want to be measuring about an audience to help set yourself up for success? Sure. I mean, like, um, there's the obvious uh, retention, conversion, in K factor. Um, so I call it the home run. So let's say the first thing you want to do is have good retention, obviously. Uh, but the second thing you want to do after that is improve your conversion rate to payer uh, if you have a free to play game or ads based game. And after that is to improve the amount you will generate from each of the players. And then the fourth one would be to actually grow that game. So to make sure that you have as many eyeballs as possible. And you know your overall funnel uh, regarding acquisition to how much you can have on little TV. And then you start to have something. But yeah, but otherwise, like, um, you know, another thing in general, um, you can go uh, all the way to the rabbit hole of understanding the behaviors of your users uh, and end up with 56 different, different IO of um, behavior pattern that will monetize in different ways. Um, yeah, so those are some to look at. Um, obviously, if you're going premium, um, well, uh, you have to do very good soft launch. Uh, hopefully, you will have to test your things very well and um, uh, iterate the, bu the bugs and make sure that you are up to um, to the standard of the current industry. Um, but as we have seen just a few days ago, you can have, you know, uh, with um, BattleBit, you can have a game that... Uh, doesn't have triple graphic and all these things, but the fun is there. Uh, you can still be a you know a small team of four and be the number one selling game on Steam uh, on Steam today. So um, I'll say that um, it's really about execution before anything. I mean, like analytic is one thing, but in the end, it's if you want to make a good decision, um, it's your guts to start with, and then after that is how. Um, your support is talking to you regarding like, um, does the game fail? Is there like QA to do? Um, do the community enjoy what's going on right now in the game? Do they progress well? And then it, essentially it's the, the sum of the three that will give you the right decision bounded with data and analytic. 
So I wouldn't say like um like analytic or one KPI is the answer. It's really what you do with it. Yeah. <laughs> so you bring up user retention. We talk about that a lot. And just taking a step backwards, right? Uh, you've had a lot of experience with player information, player data, player who they are. We we talk a lot about building communities on this podcast, right? And the importance of it. And a lot of times people talk about Discord and they talk about your network and your Reddit. But you guys are helping connect multiplayer players playing together. And in that, there's a whole nother logic that has to make sense, right? Because yes, you have a community, but you need to you need to match like players, right? If I'm playing Call of Duty and I just pick up the controller for the first time and I'm playing an expert. I'm immediately going to leave. So I feel like you guys are taking a look at community from a different side of it to make sure that you can match up against like players. But even before diving into that, do you mind giving maybe an elevator pitch to people that are listening to the podcast? And what exactly is Photon Engine doing? Sure. So um, Photon is the number one service provider of multiplayer service worldwide. Uh, we're mainly focused on Unity. So we provide all the topologies and the engine types that you can dream of regarding how to build a multiplayer game today. Uh, it's free to use, so anyone can go and register and uh, try out your services. And um, then we have, you know, thousands of live games worldwide. We cover everything all the way to China, and then we continue to innovate. So our goal is to always have like the latest tools regarding multiplayer. Uh, so now we've launched not too long ago Fusion, which is a new product that supports um, easily up to uh, 200 players, but you can go way higher than that if you want to uh, in a full first-person shooter sister it's game. And um, and then we have Quantum, which is a deterministic platform, which use a different way to uh, to do to do netcode, and um, and it's very easy to actually build something with that. And now it's free for everyone to use. So um, so yeah, so um, that's how that's how we operate. Um, but what you were referring to earlier is uh, matchmaking. So um, matchmaking can be you know seen that. Multiple level. First thing you want is to, when you launch your game, is to make the people play. And usually, when you have a multiplayer game, you don't have enough players to create meaningful match. You know, let's say if you, even if you have a four versus four, right? So don't even think about a sixteen versus sixteen or hundred player map or something like that, because you're gonna have problems to get those users without, you know, spending money. So um, one thing to be done at the start is to integrate bots. Um, obviously, those bots will go away with time. But bots will make it possible for your players to try out the game on the first play rather than wait for players to come. And uh, once you have enough players, then the bots just goes away with time. And you can use the same bots uh, in the future if a player leaves and don't come back or there's a disconnect, you replace him with a bot, uh, which is always great so that there's an even match, right? even if it's an AI. Regarding matchmaking, there's multiple um, aspects to it. It's a very deep subject. But if we go just, you know, scrap the surface um, you can have helo scoring uh, where you have different type of bell curves so a bell curve has you know let's say you have zero and then you have like 50 and then you have 100 right and let's think you, let's think you have like 3000 levels so you will be matchmaked with someone that is somewhere in that bell curve and obviously the one that are closer to you have a bigger risk to be um, to be matchmaked with you. And then if you don't find enough, then you have expansion. So we have expansion of that bell curve to find more players. And that's purely based on scoring or rating. If you want to do it properly, you have to also integrate behaviors, which I've talked a bit about earlier. So that could be, um, well, that's his 10 game today, or that's his first one. He, he is part of a clan, he's always participating. 
Uh, he's someone who will always give stuff to his colleagues. So those behaviors are all different, which will create a different type of gameplay. Some players just like to kill everyone on the map. Some people just like to finish the map. Um, so those behaviors are important to take in place and um, that will create a better match in the end. You have to also calculate how many times that they lose, how many times that they win in the last 10 or 20 games. Someone who always win is as boring as someone who always lose. So you have to make sure to uh, give him a challenge that group or that person. And when I say group is when you're matchmake, like you are four, or eight or 16 players in a group and you want to be matchmake with others, then obviously that bell curve gets a little bit crazy. So there's more into that obviously, but um, you know, scratching the surface there. It's kind of a fascinating topic because I have found myself over time getting bored with certain games because as I get older, I'm actually playing games on easier because I'm more interested and in, invested in the story, but then the game gets boring pretty quick because it's too simple. Mm -hmm. the, these rules that you talk about, right? And I'm going to call them rules and it's probably not the right term for it, but like, are those pre-built into the tool? Is that stuff you have best practices upon? I just remember myself like the last few times I played Siege, yeah. my own teammate would kill me. And it's just like, yeah. all right, this is a frustrating experience. Why is this happening over and over again? Well, you... Obviously, you can have like static segment regarding like um, you know like of play or things like that, but um, but in the end, you will have threshold or dynamic, uh, which is that data sets gets updated, and based on those data sets, then it will change. Obviously, you can you have elements that you cannot very much change, which is like you are here physically on the world, this is your region, right? So, but essentially, like um. It goes very much into like um, uh, details of play, uh, which is like um, you can, you know, as the same as you can do an estimated value of ponderation of how uh, a player will spend money in a game, you can do the same of how much it's going to have fun in it. So um, um, you can risk sometimes as part of your algorithm to uh, propose two match that are too hard right now for this player. But uh, based on psycho traits or other behaviors, it might be exactly what he is looking for right now, a challenge. So um, um, actually, like knowing perfectly a community is, is, requires, you know, some, a lot of work <laughs> to analyze the psycho traits mm -hmm. and to have the, the, the players uh, fill out forms uh, so that you understand more about their habits and what they do. Um, but uh, ultimately, like um, uh, you know, at the base is still the same, which is either ELO score rating or similar. There's true match, there's smart match. You can look at Xbox. There's a bunch of white papers about that as well. But the behaviors themselves are really depending on your game. I mean, like if you're making like a cooperative train game where you have to conquer a map uh, versus a first-person shooter, uh, don't get me wrong. But there's other things to, you know target between the two, same thing with the RTS and the click per seconds and other things like that. So um, I would say that every game style and gameplay will have its own unique set of elements to track, um, but those are core to the gameplay and the community. And obviously there's no gameplay or community that are the same. So there you go. These behaviors are interesting to me and I'd like to take a second to kind of understand it, right? Because at Helpshift, we talk about that quite a bit as well, but the behaviors usually get passed to us from our from our customers, right? They, they already have that information saved somewhere. 
where do customers capture this data? Is it a PlayFab? Are they doing it directly on Photon? Are there other tools that you know of? Like, this is complicated stuff, like you, or maybe it's not as complicated as I'm making, but where are companies capturing this type of data typically? Sure. So um, usually it starts with the, um, with the basic stuff, which is like event-driven data um, based on either progressions or other elements. Very few are making cohorts. Okay, so um, meaning that uh, one week varies from one week to another, or maybe you have cohorts that last uh, two months or 28 days, depending on the, your target profile. Regarding like the tools themselves, I don't think yet there's the you know the ultimate tool. For example, in PlayFab, there's a lot that you will get for tracking your events and data. There's not that much to, well, you have the tools to consume and interpret that data, but you don't have the wires in between, right? Which is like, here's what you have to track or and whatnot. Obviously there's templates and other elements, but as I said multiple times, very, very games are so different from one to another. I think that um, if you look at like uh, open source services, like uh, game analytics and others, like it's getting more and more in that direction where it will offer you elements to track that, you know, track a large part of it easily. Uh, but you will, well, first, before you go all the way down to the, to, you know, to the funnel of tracking, let's call it like that. You have to make sure you have a successful game, right? And that you are making money. So if you're making money, you're going to hire proper data scientists who will have his own set of tools and graph. Maybe he's going to use Looker from Google. Maybe he's prefer to uh, use some Synapse and Data Lake from Azure. I don't know. So, <laughs> And then use some Power BI after that to share the dashboard and other things. I think right now it, there's no like one one tool fits all. Um, so, um, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. I, I kind of noticed that gap a while ago and I thought someone would solve it. I mean... Well, it's been 20 years people are working on that. I mean, like, a, um, it, it's, I think w where it gets very hard is the GUI. Like, how do you present that data sets? And how will you do that piping an event and and keeping the story and all that? And that if you uh, mess up or have data that you want to remove from the equation for whatever reason, that it's easy to clean and revert and other things like that, then... You know, the size of those data sets, which has, you know, billions of tracks every day, depending on the size of the game. Yeah, it's not easy. <laughs> so yeah. No, but it's cool as data, right? If you, I'm wondering if, like, as you're talking around, thinking, can generative AI start to look at some of these sure. common themes and try and make connections between them that, or make at least suggestions, right? It's, again, taking a look at a big data set and trying to find insights in it, which I think is one of the hardest things to do. Uh, and anything you can do to help enable it, I think, shows you positive stuff uh yeah i mean like um well generative ai i would is really not ready to have the full end-to-end -end, meaning like um you let ai ingest and interpret the data create some creative or change some element of the game and then update the whole thing no um it's not there yet um yeah. regarding like ai that that tries to create a report for you automatically well yeah it's there i mean like um here's the thing is that if you look at ChatGPT or most of the creation tools or what is offered in analytic and they have some sort of ai or copilot or something the result is very convincing right <laughs> meaning that uh, uh it's very good but it doesn't mean it's true right that this is the thing that you have to do or release 
Um, and, and I think that's where the, that's where it stops, <laughs> right? Uh, which is that you as individual, um, should be able to assess, interpret, interpret and have a result by yourself. And the AI is more like, um, like a good colleague that you can learn from, but doesn't have the definitive answer. We might have it sometimes, right? No, get me wrong. Yeah. Um, and you, you will learn from the AI as well, definitely. But uh, I, you know, it's way, it's too, it's not there yet. Just, it's just simple. It is maybe, maybe sooner or later. But uh, the current approach, which is like the sum of all conversation and whatnot, doesn't let creativity run into new things very much right <laughs> it's always something that worked before uh do you guys find yourself dealing with a lot of your customers or their customers on discord is that a big channel for you guys yeah so we um so we use discord uh extensively actually um so um so what we did we actually closed our web forum uh in favor of discord simply to have more of a form of a community and that uh is real time and um, so we have a public Discord that anyone can join. Everyone, anyone that has a Photon Engine account can go there, mingle with the community. And then we have a private uh, Discord as well, which we call the Photon Circle. And those are customers uh, that we select and um, uh, are part of that. But now it's actually open to everyone now as well. Um, and um, uh, then Gaming Circle, uh members will have access to our tech team so or engineers are on discord as well answering questions right away and then what we did on top of that is add the stack overflow of um you know most question asked and um uh and have the answers directly there and then have the content of the stack overflow shared to other people yeah you know like um but but discord is really much about being in charge of your community you know, if I go back like uh, 10 years ago, you know, you still had multiple games launching with just a website and that's it, right? So uh, so then what was happening, you had all those third-party uh, community that were, you know, being built up. So so then you lose the conversation. It's not yours anymore. So um, it's very important to keep your community very close to you, both in SaaS service and gaming simply because that's where you're going to have all of your intake of what is good, what is wrong, and, you know, have some genuine ideas about what to do next as well. Do you find that your users are providing best practice to one another in the public facing yeah, yeah. Discord? Or... Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, it's always those, um, you know, we talk about behavior and psychotraits earlier, and one of them is um, some individuals really like to help others, like for them, it's rewarding and it's resourcing um the bigger your community the more you can have of those if you go if you go back into the uh forum days or you know merc or other type of communities then you will end up to have moderators that moderate the content uh just for free just because they want to be part of the community and mingle more so um so on that end yeah <laughs> people do help each other um i mean like um I think every human should help each other, right? I mean, like if you see someone who has a question and 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 you have the answer, it'd be great that you take like a just a minute to answer back. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. That's why I, I, I think it's, uh, the community has to grow by helping one another. And we see that a lot in, in our, in our, we have Slack channels that are public facing as well, where uh, companies don't always want to disclose what company they're working for, but they're, they're more than happy. I mean, they're all customer experience or customer service people at the end of the day. So everyone wants to be able to help their customers. Right. And, and we see a lot of knowledge share. And we also, I mean, like when we look at our roadmap, our roadmaps are pretty set, but but when we see specific types of feedback or people coming to us with specific type of questions, we take that seriously and, and talk about how we implement that because we think we know everything. But until you start talking, I mean, this is the role of a product manager, right? Is do user stories, interview the, your customers, get and understand what they want and need. And it's fun to just be able to sit back and watch two customers solve a problem together, something I wasn't even thinking about before. Yeah, that's right. And um, I would say like what you just said now, is more important than knowing what's your number one KPI, right? Is to actually have the soft skills to be able to engage with your community and mm -hmm. not be afraid that um, that say something is on fire somewhere, right? <laughs> Maybe it could be your servers or something else. Then you are genuine enough to go, you know, go straight to your community and say, "Hey, sorry, we know that this is happening." Uh, we're going to take care of it. Usually the fire will go down slowly just because you said that. It's not fixed yet, but you're talking to them. Right. And um, and that's retention, like really it's taking care of your people. I mean, like um, wherever you go, if people are taking care of their customers, they're going to come back. Yeah. And, and that's not just companies, right? Brand advocates. And that's what you're talking to. Build up those brand advocates. They'll help build your communities. They'll make everyone strong. And, and it's this ongoing cycle of just keeping your customers happy in that leads to user retention. Yeah, yeah, it's empowering your users, it's UGC, it's all of that, <laughs> you know. So a little bit about you, Mark, right? You have this awesome background, you've worked with some fun companies, you've learned about players in the background, but but how do you how do you get there? Do you you go into school thinking I want to learn about players in the game or or um, how did you get to where you are? Well, um well, for me it's um uh, I'm very passionate about multiple things, right? So um I'm an engineer myself, so I can build pretty much anything I want. And I'm a creative person as well, so I like to explore new things. And third is that I love science in general. So um, then it touch, uh, I touch a lot of physics. I touch a lot of um, human behaviors through psychology. Um, I love progress and other elements. So obviously anything that will make the brand I'm working for or people I know or my colleagues better, I will try to talk to them about that. So um, um, analytic per se is is very much, especially in gaming and free to play. You know, we have so many different verticals, right? So if you talk to the user acquisition guys, or if you talk to people working gambling, or uh, if you talk to you know folks who work only in Asia versus here in the West, um, you will have so different discussion, right? <laughs> so um, to me, it's the sum of it. Like it's the sum of all of that, um, but it's just to know. I think what is very important is to know where to give effort to it. What? Why do I say that? Is simply because like um, obviously there's those that release something with no tracking at all, and they just hope that uh, uh, things will go okay. Uh, then you have the opposite, which is people that spend a lot of time on an analytic framework, and then they. Uh, are stuck in creating the content. So um, I think it's the right balance. So um, all the basics regarding like uh, how many DAU you had, how many people came back, how time spent, 
um, the um, your retention or your K factor, so slash virality, all of those are important. Like, um, but when it but when you go down to knowing the fifty six behaviors or so I was talking about earlier, this is when you have a successful game, right? So, um, but to start to 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 get going, I would say is to um, look just at how ads works, right? So, um, ads in general works with attribution, so. You attribute uh, the eyeballs to the creative, to the publisher, and then the money flows from <laughs> one hand to another. Just knowing that this is like the basic loop of tracking very much gives uh, a lighthouse to your uh, meaning regarding what you're going to provide to your customers. So yeah, so um, so it's both technical and and soft skills and understanding of behaviors that we're on a finite planet now that um that the internet has been flat for more than 20 years right so um um what i mean by that is that everyone can access your content maybe not from china but they find ways um and um and from day one you should aim for going global um so it means culturization globalization knows you have to know the major holidays worldwide right so so there's a lot of things to know regarding like um, um how will you take data in general and put it to your advantage and thank you some notes here. I, I love that right uh, you know you said your background is science and engineering and i took note of that right and at first i was like it's so weird that you're kind of a, a public facing figure here with an engineering background and a science background i typically think that's behind the scenes and then i start thinking about it and you're monitoring these user flows these user tendencies and as an engineer when you're building a product and you have to start understanding where are people clicking what are people doing how are they reacting to this stuff it gives you kind of this edge to know all right well i can just fix this app myself or i can move this button or i can do this and and i can really make that perfect experience so it, it seemed weird at first to me on how those connect but it does make a lot of sense it maybe the the outgoing personality side is still kind of a, a strange one to me because <laughs> most engineers i've met before are more, more quiet and reserved oh, but, uh, well, there's all kind of people well the the big difference with me is that um uh so my first company was the end of the 90s and um so i was making websites and whatnot and um, and an interactive experience, which we used to call multimedia, and um, um, and I very much like to do those, and I very much didn't want to work for someone else, so um, so I had to become a public-facing person and to uh, engage with customers and create a brand and sell it to be able to do what I like. So yeah. <laughs> I remember those uh, those days of Dreamweaver on front page in school and trying to learn how to build a web page for people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a great skill to have back then. And Dreamweaver is still there today. I mean, uh, it's uh, it's a very old tool. Um, yeah. I, sometimes I miss those days because it was like like it was really down to the core of programming rather than now. There's like frameworks and all these things everywhere, and it, and people talk about frameworks instead of programming language, and I'm like. This is just so weird. <laughs> anyway, it's a, I, I'm I'm eating. I'm buying the hype very big. I, I truly think that generative AI is the next big leap in technology, similar to how the '90s was for the internet and people sure. who were 
I'm just going to say younger at that time and learn to go and run with the technology made the most of it. And I see people who are willing to give the different tools, it doesn't just have to be ChatGPT, but like all these other AI tools for images, for sounds, for all, yeah, like, right. I think this is going to be the next big step. And what are people going to do with it? I'm not sure. I know there's a lot of products coming out and a lot of them are not fantastic. It's first mover's advantage, but uh, I see this as being a big step similar to how that was in the 90s for you. Yeah, I mean, like, um, for those who understand all of the verticals, like these tools are like magic. Um, mm -hmm. When I see this is um, that I have understanding of design, have understanding of um, uh, of flow, and then to be able to composite everything together in a meaningful format. Um, being able to, if, you, if it generates code, to be able to parse and arrange and debug and iterate on that generated code. So by any means, it, it does, like just to come back to what I was saying earlier, yes, it's true. It's it, like both for creating 3D models or animation or sound, take an image and have a 3D character being generated out of it. Uh, it's extremely impressive, but still you have to understand what is the result. <laughs> you have to understand what, yeah. what you have Obviously, if it's it's an image, okay, fine. You have a two D picture. You have a WAV file or MP three, whatever. Okay, fine. You have a file. But if you have something that is dynamic, you have to understand nuts and bolts how things are connected to, together. So, um, so you still have to do the learnings about what they are and how to use them. Uh, otherwise, it's, it's just information that is spit out. And um, but it's a view. It's a nice way to learn, I guess. Right. But um, I would say that. For anyone today, it's still very important to understand what is a buffer and how to use it. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's funny. This kind of this kind of ties into the second point you made earlier that I wrote down of the internet being flat. You know, back to the days of the '90s when you were learning to use or you were building websites, right? Coming across that knowledge on how to do that and how to build this stuff wasn't as easy as going to Google and say, how do I build a website in Dreamweaver and then watching a YouTube video. Now we all have access to the same videos, the same content online. And I'm not going to say it's going to be a race for who's the most talented or not, but this concept of the internet is flat plays perfectly into this because it's a fair, it's a fair game for everyone here. I mean, that's why it's an interesting place to be in. Well, I have this, um, you know, like a week ago, there's uh, this guy who um, from Germany who um, published a video, I think it was on Twitter, and then it went on TikTok, YouTube, everywhere. And he's just holding a camera, walking in this flat, and then it just changed the world he's in at every five to 10 seconds. Here's, a, here's the thing is that the edge of creation just got pushed like further away. So this summer, 2023, we're going to see new content that we didn't thought was possible to be created by one or two individuals uh, with AAA quality and all these things. And everyone's going to be stunned about it. Like, wow, this is great. And with like everything, at one point, there's going to be like a lot of them. It's going to be like 30 of those a day. And then you're going to be like, oh my God, okay. So, um, you know, like this cycle has been happening ever, like since, you know, music tapes. So, um, which is like, now it's all about, you know, um, uh, rock music. And then after that, it's all about metal. And then after that, it's all about hip hop, you know? So in the end, it's, it's not necessarily, at first it's very impressive, but at one point it's assembling and then it becomes more like a, like a culture, like a, or, or a movement that goes in a certain direction. 
Um, I mean, and as we go with technology, you know, like just to go back a little bit, okay. So when I say the world is flat and you say anyone has the same chance to learn and execute, very much reflect what century we're in right now, which is the century of self, right? It's like me, myself, and I look at me, look at what I can create. I'm a good person, the material individual, right? <laughs> and, um, and both into like, who do you project as an individual, as part of communities? So where I want to go with this is that um, as the same as I was saying with moment in time in the past that really define cultures and generation, um, technologies are a big accelerator of those, right? Um, creativity is the part that makes people dream, right? And uh, abhor to some ideologies, right? And as I was going to before, I said, let me go back a little bit. With the technology that is up and coming now, it makes that reality. Well, we've seen the real first game multiple times, right? <laughs> but what I mean is that the, the first time that you can have a mass market product, which is going to be the Quest 3, um, with full pass through and colors, uh, similar to what we saw with Apple Vision. Um, then you're gonna, then you have a whole other medium, right? So um, um, that medium that reinterprets what is your surrounding and making it yours in the sensory of self. Wow, like soon enough, like people are gonna create their own world, like really crazy. So, um, and be inside of it. But that still means that you have to stay to the edge of technology and be the latest one to do it. Because as soon as this second wave, which is like the first wave is gonna be a bit whatever, second wave is gonna be more about personalization of that content, fine. And then we have those new mediums that are coming. Uh, if you put everything together, you still have to offer something that is genuine and original. <laughs> so. So by any means, if you want to create, if you want to win, you always have to create something new. So it's interesting. A few things you said there make a lot of sense, and the last one resonates real quick of kind of being unique, for lack of better words. You have to create something new. Is uh, I have a five year old, and I get bored of telling him stories. So every once in a while, I'll go to ChatGPT and say, "Write a story about Iron Man and Spider Man." Oh, that's cool. And, and after a while, you see the stories are exactly the same, and they replace a couple words here with a couple words there, oh, and man. it's kind of like that honeymoon period of oh, this is awesome. Then it's like, okay, this is the same thing over and over again. And it's great first step for technology, right? And, and you're talking about the kind of stages of technology, right? With the Quest Three coming out with full 3D pass through, and I'm I'm not necessarily sold on the VR hype. I like where it's going. I I keep telling people I I truly believe that if it was going to blow up, it would have done done it during COVID when we were all locked down anyway. Yeah. Uh, the price point was there, but I, I would love for it to work. Um, we used to call it, or I guess Gartner has something called the hype cycle. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's kind of where you were starting with this generative AI is like the hype cycle we're at the top right now. Everyone's hyped up and they're all creating stuff that probably may not last for long, but something will come of it. The question is, what is it going to be? And we've seen this for web two. We've seen this for the web to begin with, right? Like people dream of what's going to come. And I think we need to get through these first few, this first period of time to see what comes of it. And that's where we are jumping back in the quest, right? Quest one was for yeah. enthusiasts. Quest two opened it up to the public. Quest three will hopefully be more, more public facing it and adopt a yeah, bigger yeah. crowd. And also the, the device changed a lot, right? I mean, like uh, 
you know like um to me i'm i'm, I'm bullish on um when the when the glasses are like that big right <laughs> so oh, yeah. that's the obvious so um you know like um some glasses are 50 gram on your nose right like regular glasses like the one i've just showed you is like 30 gram or something right and um and then you look at the apple vision and then okay you have like alpha kilo on your head it's like okay well and you know like for myself i've been i've built a startup using hololens 2016 and after a year of having the hololens on my nose i was like i have to sell the startup like really like uh, i just could not bear any more of having that thing on me I, I just wanted to throw it on the wall so a lot of it has to do with uh, quality of life and then the other one is quality of service which is if it breaks where do you go to repair it so you want something that is cheap so that when it breaks it doesn't matter <laughs> you can buy a new one um so there's a lot of product fits to uh, to get there but for anyone who uh has two vr in their house with kids there's a very high chance the two vr is going to get used every single day so um because there's just so much content you know going from rec room to gorilla tag and then if you go to older then you have those uh, poker vr game you have fishing games you have shooters and you have all those resident evil that's going to make you cry so um uh i mean like the immersion is really hard to beat and if you go back again like 10 years ago you look at vr headset you had a launch buck in your face right you had a full thing with this gigantic and now with the quest 3 is getting very thin and um i mean it's the same as with you know the first cassette players you had this huge thing with double d batteries and after you know, a few while you have like those uh, CD players that has two batteries and can last for a whole week, right? So yeah. you have me thinking back. I don't know if you had the uh, Virtual Boy. Yeah, I remember my first time yeah, playing the red Virtual one. Boy. Yeah. Mind- yeah. yeah, right. It was just mind-boggling, and it was just a bunch of pixel art or like three D lines that just kind of played tennis. So it was a cool experience. Yeah, I liked yeah, it too. I always wanted to buy it, and then every time I was trying it, I was like, eh. <laughs> Not worth it, but cool experience nonetheless. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I mean, we've been talking about technology and we've been talking about that. One question I always ask and I haven't asked yet is, what games are you playing now if you do play any games? Oh, yeah, sure. So, um, so I'm a big gamer. So uh, I've lost another hardcore character at Diablo 4. So Diablo, I've been playing hardcore since hardcore exists. And I don't play any other mode because uh, I love the thrill. Um, the same why I very much like Battle Royale game, that I like Warzone and Tarkov and other extraction type of games where you, you can lose all your loot, but you can always you know uh, save it if you do well. On mobile, I play just too many games because of our customers, so I play pretty much everything that comes to me. Uh, but otherwise, um, recently I've... Uh, which one did I just install like a week ago just for fun? It's a Rush Arena, which is funny because now, you know, like uh, if you go back to like 2016, uh, you know, you had a match tree game. You had a, a mystery game. You had, a, you know, all of the genre were pretty much what it is. And then 2017, 18, then you start to have like, Cross, which is like Gardenscape. So you have to do uh, match tree, you have to do quests, you have to do cleaning, you have to do a bit of Farmville left and right, you know? So you, this, this this mix of um, casual genre being mixed up. And nowadays is taking those mechanics and just like uh, putting 
bare to the minimum in terms of mechanics, but trying to put a lord on top of it. So that's a longer story. Yeah. And there's arcs and other elements and then the seasons and the community that goes to it. And I find it super fascinating that gameplays are extremely simple, can have such depth, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, anyway, so um, if you compare this game I just talked about, which is, what's the game again? Rush Arena versus Diablo 4. The amount of time to execute these two are so different, right? <laughs> really, the amount of content yeah. in Diablo 4 is crazy. Um, but that's what you get for a premium game. Um, and then when you pay for, when you pay nothing <laughs> for free, that's what you get. So, so uh, yeah, so it's, so I think it's very important to see both. Um, but at the same time, like now you have like the, the finals, uh, that's going to get released on steam. There are still prep for you and those are free to play. So, um, I think it's free to play. So, so it's interesting to always see those mechanics, like uh, take league of legends, for example. So you have, you know. Uh, 40 million people playing every day. I think it's still the case. I'm not sure. Uh, but then you have like a very small amount of the players that convert to payer, like just 10 margin. But that's because they have such a large crowd and they make a ton of money with that, even if they have small conversion rate. So um, when you have like a premium title with Blizzard, they know they're going to sell a million copies. So they're going to put it at launch at 80 bucks and then 129 bucks for like ultimate package or something and they sell all of it and they make all their money in you know the first 48 hours and of course going to make way, way more money with all of the merch and other things that are on the side so um where i want to go with this is that the business of gaming is like super wide um very few talk about that and um uh, the business of gaming is actually not talked about very much so um and how to leverage a brand through uh, cross media and how you leverage your merch. I saw games that saw that sold like hundred thousand copies of a game. You know, not good, <laughs> but their merch they sold like gazillion amount, right? And they made way more money with merch. Some people with way more money than ads with ads than if it was premium. And that's the thing, right? So um, all goes around. Um, but for me, I like to play things I haven't seen. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it is. You mentioned two two games popped in my head as you were talking there on two different topics. One was Among Us because yeah. that game came from a studio that had very few developers. No one heard about it, and the game just blew up. It was, I mean, I think it was a little before COVID. I don't know, right? But like everyone played that game, and I don't yeah, think it scaled as well as it. What was it's that? Five years ago now, or five years ago, <laughs> yeah. a little before, but like. This is to your point where it was a non-AAA studio. They threw together this game. They probably made more money in selling their little space guys than, than the actual game itself. Yeah. Uh, and now it's it's cool to see what they did with the VR. Like I didn't try the VR one, but it looked really cool. It's like a fun experience. I, I feel like it was a little late to the game, but like it was a cool experience. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, it's hard to do proper VR as well, right? So um, yeah. So Shell Games took the uh among us vr project and 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 did it very well so i'm, I'm happy they, they, they made it happen regarding like um you know what happened with among us if you're able to empower a community to invite others to create fun and they have fun there's a hundred percent chance they're gonna invite more people 
it was one of the few games that got that so right. Like we would literally have people over and there'd be eight of us sitting in a room and we'd all have our phones out. The only other game we've ever really done that with was like the Jackbox games because we're all in the person together. But like Among Us had such an amazing formula to just suck people in. Uh, yeah, that's right. And it's using some behaviors of humans, uh, which is trust, right? And um, do I trust you? I don't, you know? And um, and then you have the soft skills approach to it, which is like, huh, no, it's not me, right? <laughs> so, and which is, you know, are you sus, right? I mean, like um, now in every schoolyard, they say, oh, you're sus, right? So, um, I mean, it, it, they, everyone knows exactly what it means, where it's from, and what is the mindset behind it. And that is because of a game. So um, so being able to pull those behaviors to psychotraits that is across a large portion of the population triggers those moments where you're like, oh, my God. right? So, um, you know, the high effect is for everyone. You know, it's the same like us, we're a SaaS service, we provide multiplayer service. Well, for us, the haha moment is when, you know, like a developer registers, uh, download one of our samples, go in Unity, compile it, and then he has his character moving on the screen. He's like, oh, okay, cool. And then double click again on the build, and then he has two windows, and then he's moving here, it moves there. And he's like, oh my God, let me try with my phone. And then he moves on his phone, it moves on his screen. He's like, aha okay now i can do it too right so um that's the thing is that when you are able to bring people to a point where they feel very a lot of satisfaction there's a hundred percent chance that your retention goes very high <laughs> so these aha moments are interesting right and they make a ton of sense from photon the type of content you have the ability to monitor are you able to help provoke or help expose some of these aha moments based on just the data that you're able to see? Um, not at all. <laughs> so when 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 we make aha on our side is when there's a hockey stick, right? There's there's a game that was like in the in the Amazon and then it reached the moon, right? So uh, why is because we are not tracking anything about the players. Uh, it makes it very hard to make a aha moment. But when it comes to my desk and I play the game, I do have a aha moment and tell them, right? But <laughs> but what I mean by this is that we don't have any tooling to do that, and it is precisely why Photon is good. Actually, let me explain why. To be able to activate data understanding like i could do it at playfab like i could do that at playfab um you need cloud safe right you need the full progression and history of a player um we don't have anything about that in photon because we have 100 percent focus in delivering the best product for multiplayer and that side of things we do provide a matchmaker right but we will not provide all the stack of a cloud save solution that needs to run in real time because you know i know it it's freaking hard to build and to do it right and um if we will do that at photon we will have to spin another company right and make them independent of us and then they could and then we'll have a really beautiful dashboard right i mean like a it will make our product better because in the end when you sell hammers and screwdrivers and saw right that's what we sell pretty much you can 
only assess the quality of the work once the house is built, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, meaning that um, um, it's very hard to, I can give you videos on how to hammer properly, right? No problem. Uh, but what will you hammer? I don't know, <laughs> right? So, um, and that's the thing. It's um, the, the the yeah, I get it. You, yeah. Right? You, there's a saying, and I forgot what it is. Like you can't see the full picture until the full picture is actually complete. So you're just providing the tools to help create this picture, and then you got to see how everything's actually operating yeah, together right. as a whole. So we do give best practice regarding what, what or how to implement some game mechanics, right? But the total execution will be up to the person on the other side of the screen. And that can only be tracked um, with <laughs> in game tracking. So yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I think that's all I have for you today, Mark. Uh, right. Is there anything that you think we want to discuss that we haven't yet? Is there anything you want to just plug? But well, do I have anything to plug? Well, yeah, sure. So, um, so, you know, like, if you go back like, five years ago, right, and you so that's 2018, right? And you look at the top 100 great 100 games on mobile that were multiplayer. You had, I think, like 10 of them or something. And and now it's like over 70%, right? So um, uh, why why are they up there? You know, um, because it touched with every single thing we've talked about before, like the intrinsic value of multiplayer is that it creates a community right away. It means that um, if you have a global chat, or if you have a local chat, or if you have clans, or if you uh, even better have a tool for people to create content in your game, uh, that could be their own emblem. It could be uh, a landing page or an area for their clan where people can visit afterwards. There is a 100% chance, again, that your players will come back to see what happened in there, simply because you know, it's the IKEA effect, right? Which is that um, if you spend time in building something, it raises in value. So the value you bring to a multiplayer game as an individual uh, in a game that you like, right? Uh, uh, it makes it that there's a very high chance that you're going to find people that have similar mindset than you, that you are going to enjoy talking with them and bonding happens. Um, and then the brand takes over after that, right? So, um, and then obviously, like with time, or industry found out that PvP monetized more than just you know cooperative game or single player game because of all the psycho traits that falls into that. <laughs> so, so by any means, I would say like uh, you have to think very much about implementing some sort of elements that brings players together. Um, and the real-time aspect of it is where pretty much everything is heading now. And um, uh, it's also much cheaper than before to run these things. So um, we used to say it's hard, it's expensive. Like those two are not true anymore. Um, it's easier than before. It's uh, as cheap as running PlayFab, for example, um, or cheaper even. <laughs> so. Um, so if there's uh, one thing to add is that uh, it's, it has to be something to consider. Um, and, uh, and as for us, like one of our, what has been growing the most is not gaming, actually, it's, uh, it's B2B. So um, 
uh, we're talking about, you know, Daimler or NASA or other huge um, international companies, um, doctors, surgeons um, that are using multiplayer in real time to for education or for uh, doing real groundwork. And um, the fact that you can be multiple eyes and ears and brain on a problem at the same time makes it solve faster. That's the, you know, the same as a processor. You stack them, you're just faster. So, so I'm pretty sure that in 10 years from now, like um, real time will just become boring because it's everywhere. So um, a bit like, you know, if you compare back in the days, HTTP to billboard, right? HTTP was like, oh, that new thing. It's super complicated. There's there's all these languages, the JavaScript, what's that, right? Um, and then now it's omnipresent. Like people don't even think about it. And um, well, it's the same for real time uh, and multiplayer in general. So yeah, so you have to accept it and do it. <laughs> so that's what I want to say. The two things I really like there are, again, the same thing we hear time and time again is build your community, build your community, build your community. If you build a good community, they will build your game basically, or the, the, the people playing your game. The second thing I know you mentioned a few times was psycho traits, and it's just fun to think about. You know, if someone is playing Homescapes, it's not the same as playing Call of Duty. It's not the same as playing Pokemon Go, yet there's an urge in each one of those players to go purchase, right? And one of them's I'm going to go purchase, and then I'm going to go play Call of Duty and shoot people. I'm just going to go catch Pokemon. So, like, there's overlapping traits here. And once you start analyzing your audience, which you probably want to wait till you have a decent enough size audience, you can really start to get a better understanding of what are those little things that make them make them do what they're doing. And it's an interesting thing to be able to watch and learn. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, if you take games like Gardenscape, who has like, uh, you know, 10,000 levels and whatnot, um, your level 1000, you know, I pick a random one and my level 1000 will be different, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and that's the beauty of it is that, um, the customization in those type of games can be very much individualized. Uh, but when you have like big war faction, let's say you have like a, a conquer type of game where you have a map and there's like seven factions that are battling for castles and, uh, and then it's real time, you can be attacked at any time. And you hear that someone from the other clan or someone in your team had uh, you know, a super useful item for half the price all of a sudden, just like that, and you don't, you're like, whoa, okay, that's weird. So um, so you have to be careful on how to use certain tricks as well <laughs> regarding like, and how to, you know, leverage your community, community in certain ways. There's things you can do with a small community that you cannot do with a global one. You can certainly not do with the fanatics, right? So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, you have to be careful with communities as well. Yeah. Uh, it's a beautiful domain, isn't it? It is, and I love being here. And Mark, it was great having you on the show today. I really appreciate this conversation, everything from, from player analytics, about Photon Engine, about PlayFab, about old school gaming, which I, I'm a big fan of. So I really appreciate it. Everything about Mark will be on our website. You can learn more. Mark, again, anything else? Or uh, I'll be at um, Gamescom this summer in Cologne. Uh, then I'll be at Unite in Amsterdam. I'll be also at Unreal Fest in New Orleans. 
in at Migs in Montreal. So if you want to meet me in person, those are the plays I'm guaranteed to be in. Otherwise, you might see myself somewhere else. And thank you for listening. Yeah, thanks. And I'll leave it. Mark with saying you're going to be at Unreal Fest. That Unreal tournament was the first best online game. That's what got me going. And I hope you have a good time there. And thanks again for jumping on today. It was a pleasure, Greg.